Nobody sat in the front row, huh? It's okay, I've been told I look better the farther away you are from me, so I understand completely. Hey, welcome to Red Rocks Church. You guys happy to be here? Anybody excited today? Anybody had a great week today? Let me see you. Great weekers. Congrats on your great weeks, guys. Hey, my name is Doug Weckenman. I'm one of the pastors here, and we proudly say around here that uh, we're just a bunch of imperfect people doing our best to pursue a perfect God. And just so you know, that's true about every church you'll ever go to. We just love to brag about it and shout it from the mountaintops. And so welcome to Red Rocks Church. We are venturing into foreign territory for us as a church. As Ethan talked about, we're beginning a three-week series called Bricks and Stones about sacrifice and generosity and giving. All right, and we've waited almost a year to venture into this topic for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we as leaders, we just hate talking about it probably to a fault and just need to get over it. Uh, but number two is because we've sincerely wanted you to feel our hearts for this church before you hear about any of the needs or the, the hopes or the dreams for this church. And so I hope that you hear our hearts today. I think you might be surprised with some of the stuff that you hear today in a, in a talk about money and finances, because I know when it comes to this topic in this room, man, we're all across the board. There's some of you in here who are like, it's about time, pastor. It's about time. Like you guys got brave and talked about this and, and maybe you're feeling that because you know firsthand how amazing and life-giving it can be to do money God's way in your own life. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you, that, you're, that you're here. Um, at the same time, you might be in here like, bro, I brought a friend today. Come on, man. I brought a friend. Are you kidding me? Like, or surprise, surprise, a church is talking about money. And uh, I actually really do think, surprise, surprise, you will be surprised by some of the stuff that you hear today. Because trust me, I get it. And I I, uh, I want to say from up front, generosity is a pillar of our church. And if you're new here, first of all, I hope you know by now, no pressure or compulsion to ever give in any way, shape, or form at this church. We make that so clear. And if you're new, it actually is a great week to be here because you'll get to kind of peek behind the curtain and see why generosity is a pillar at Red Rocks Church and why we don't apologize for it at all. And so I'll start by saying this. Two weeks from today is December 8th. And we will be taking up a year-end offering, not just in Austin, but our locations in Denver, our campus in Brussels, our online community all over the globe. And you'll hear more about this today and next week. And, and, and now that you already know, no pressure or compulsion to give at all because God does not need your money. We have a God who wants us and doesn't need us. And if you're in here and the topic of money just makes you uncomfortable, like maybe you feel like you just went back to eighth grade health class and it's sex education week. Okay, I'd rather talk about sex than money from this stage any day, okay? And maybe you feel like, oh, I'm awkward about money. Here, here's what I'll ask from you. Block the topic of money out of your brain because this series is about, is about way more than just money. For our church, this is a series about legacy. It's a series about worship, and it's a series about building something that's bigger than us and that will outlast every single one of us. And so if you fit into that category, Please don't give, but please, I want to challenge you, keep coming back for this series, not to give and not to hear a message, but come back so that you can watch a church. That's my challenge to you. Come back and watch a church full of people with burdens and lack and bills to pay and pressures just like you do something that seems illogical and impossible and maybe even a little bit dumb. Keep coming back to watch a church that holds with open hands 
this most precious human resource, so much so that if God's not real, it's completely irresponsible. Right now, you are not sitting in an ordinary church. You're not sitting by ordinary people. Right now, you're sitting by prodigals, a church full of prodigals, people who know what it's like to be far from God and know what it's like to have their lives completely changed by Jesus. And over the next three weeks, you will hear some uncommon words, some uncommon words that Jesus will use to speak to some uncommon people who will respond in an uncommon way to make an uncommon impact and fan into flame this uncommon wildfire that is brewing right now in the city of Austin. You are not sitting on a, in a normal church on an ordinary day. You are sitting in Red Rocks Church in an hour, in a day, and in a season where we are drawing a line in the sand and setting a standard for who we will be individually and as a family for, for, the, for the decades to come, all right? And so let me show you, let's do a little bit of teaching, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. This is what Paul says, and I feel like he's saying this to us. But since you guys, you excel in everything, and he's talking, I'm, I'm referring to you, so feel good about yourselves just generally. Since you excel in everything, since you guys teach on everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving, which we'll just call generosity. And so if you're taking notes, we'll call this message freedom and funding. Freedom and funding. And let's pray. God, we, uh, Jesus, I, I thank you that this church is about you and that you're at the center of it. I thank you for all that you've done in this church in 11 months' time. Right now, God, I pray away any, any distraction, any shame, any condemnation or guilt. Jesus, those are nothing but a waste of our time. I pray that you'd help us to, to lean in. God, I pray we'd walk out of here built up and not beat down and that church would be enjoyed and not endured. And I thank you that your love and grace and mercy, those things are stronger than our worst sin and brighter than our darkest nights, God. So may we walk out of here encouraged with vision, not just for our own lives, but for this family in our church, this church that we call home. And finally, Jesus, I pray that your name would be made more beautiful today as you are glorified through this teaching. We love you, and we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. All right. So let's get really serious just right away. We're going to take a little census, and I'm going to count to three, and what I want you to do is yell out your favorite cereal, okay? Can we do that? So, and guys, seriously, take this serious. So, okay. So think, I'll give you two seconds. Think of your favorite cereal. You got it? Okay, I'm going to count to three, and you're going to yell it out. Pretty simple instructions. So here we go. Favorite cereal on three. One, two, three. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I heard some Lucky Charms. It's a smart group of people I'm looking at right now. If you said grape nuts, kindly leave right now. <laughs> Guys, here's a question for you. When is cereal better? Is it better for breakfast or dinner? Dinner, breakfast. Theologians have debated this for centuries, and they can't agree on it. Surprise, surprise, right? For me, I, I, I'm kind of tied. I kinda, I, I'm tied for first place with Lucky Charms, okay? But then also, and here's an uncommon combination, Cheerios with frozen, and they have to be frozen, dark chocolate, chocolate chips, and ice cold milk. Does that sound good to anybody in here? Is anybody like, man, that's a combination 
Okay, you're nodding. You, you understand that I'm going to walk down and give this to you right now. You're smart. Okay. It has to be frozen. It ha- oh, it's, oh, bro, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It does hurt. It does. Oh, man. They have to be frozen, okay? Sherry, guys, I, okay, because here's the thing. Cereal becomes better when you get to share it. So maybe you can share it, okay? There we go. Cereal becomes better when you can share it. That's good, Pastor. You might see where I'm going right now. Okay, so my little, my little guy, Will, he's 15 months old. He loves Cheerios, okay? So he's a baby after his dad's own heart already. And uh, what I appreciate even more than his Cheerio passion is his Cheerio generosity, okay? So I was praying earlier this week. I was like, God, I need some more sermon stories because sermon stories do not come cheap, you guys. You, like you've heard some of ours, you pay a big price. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. However, I got off easy this week because I was giving Will some Cheerios and I actually sprinkled accidentally 10 Cheerios onto his high chair tray. And I stood there as he picked up the first one and gave it back to me. Okay. Because even Will at the age of 15 months understands cereal is better when you get to share it. And what this is, the begin, this is the beginning of my 18-year journey of using my son Will in every sermon illustration ever, okay? Like every pastor. And so buckle up and just enjoy the ride. But let's talk about the Bible. Dear Lord, what kind of church is this? Preach the word. Okay. Let's talk. Let's do some teaching. We just talk about food like every week, it seems. I'm really hungry right now. That's probably why. Um, Okay, tithe. You've heard the word tithe. It's a cuss word in 2019. You're like, you should bleep that out, bro. Tithe. Okay, tithe actually was around before the Old Testament law was even written. And Jesus talked about the tithe in the New Testament as well. And what tithe means is tenth. It means 10%. And the Bible teaches we are to, in, in every part of our lives, okay, I'm not just talking money, offer the first 10% of what you have back to God. This is where we get the term first fruits because nobody ever, ever in history ever got to the end of the month and looked at their budget and realized, oh my gosh, I've got exactly 10% left over to give you, like, no, that, like said nobody ever, okay? And just to answer the question you're inevitably asking yourself right now, if he's God, does he really need my money? No, he absolutely does not. Once again, God wants us, does not need us. The world is his, the universe is his, and the fullness thereof. God does not need your paycheck. He needs your paycheck less than I need one of Will's Cheerios, I've got tons of Cheerios, okay? All the Cheerios are mine. I'm good without that. God needs your paycheck even less than that. But I will say this. God uses the giving of money, all right? And this is, this is how he wired the universe to work and the human heart to sort of dance with each other, all right? He uses the giving of money because if he can get it through you, he can get it to you. And that's a promise should you choose to take him up on that at any point in your life with any resource that you have. He uses the giving of money for your freedom and the kingdom's funding. So we'll say it this way. Generosity equals freedom for you and funding for his kingdom. And these go hand in hand and you need both. Freedom for you and funding for his kingdom. So let's talk freedom for you. Right here I have a kettlebell. It's very, it's like 120 pounds. This is, okay. 
This represents serving money. So this is the financial weight all of us are all too familiar with, right? Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. Pay attention right here. You, what's that word? You what? You cannot serve both God and money. And the important observation about that right there is that is not a command. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. He doesn't say don't serve God and money. He's making an observation about how the universe works. He's saying, hey, you can't serve both even if you, even if you try. You can't hold the weight of money and at the same time lift your hand to heaven and serve Jesus at the exact same time, which is why we would be cheating you and doing you a disservice if we avoided tough topics like this because I believe in this season, God wants to set a lot of us free, completely free financially, and for you, maybe the one thing holding you back from the light life that you are so desperately searching for is an inability to excel in the grace of giving. And maybe you came here today to be inspired because what I want to tell you is this is the one area of your life where God actually tells you to test him. The one area, Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the whole tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this. Says who? Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You've got all the context you need for this verse. It's not a trick verse. It means what it says. He's saying, hey, do this and see what I do in return. Try me. Test me with your most precious resource and see how I respond when you do. And my challenge to you, if any, is, to, is hey, don't wait to try him on this. Like, do you, like, are you having financial problems? Well, yeah. So you need financial breakthrough like now? Yeah. Well, then now sounds like the right time to put this in his hands and try him and see what he does. Like, this is the, like, part of my testimony. It's, it's when I made this commitment I was introduced to this whole life of generosity through 10% of my paycheck. And the first time I tried it, I'm telling you, it was like I did that. I was like, man, the weight was completely gone. Because essentially, here's what you're saying. You're saying, God, my financial problems are now your financial problems. That's what you're saying. It's like off of your shoulders. It's kind of like saying, God, you worry about my money now. Because I'm tired of it. And here's the good news. God actually wants to be the one to worry about your money situation. It's just he can't if you're in control of it and not him. He can't until you offer it to him. And here's, here's where the news just gets better and better. This is not an instruction. It's not an instruction, and you need to know that. It's an invitation. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he does not instruct you to tithe. He invites you into a life of generosity. And that's two different things, and you can't miss it. In the same way that Jesus actually never instructs you not to murder, right? He doesn't do that. 
Instead, he invites you into a life where you are, where you're, you're free of anger. All right? And how many know living a life free of anger is a higher level of living than, hey, just not murdering? Right? In the same way, living a life of generosity, excelling in the grace of giving, is a higher level of living than just tithe and just give some money because you should. And right here is, I really hope you hear my heart right here because when you teach on this, it's not an instruction. Therefore, this is not black and white. And for me to treat this as black and white and tell all of you, here's, here's the percentage, here's what you should give, that, that would be mishandling our new covenant package that we now all have. And I can be dumb sometimes, but I'm smart enough not to do that. It's not an instruction. It's an invitation to generosity. Okay, and I, I like, I, I didn't even want to, I, I, I didn't want to say this. I've never told this to anybody because um, this is, from, this is my business and my wife's um, because I, I never want you to feel like, oh, are you bragging up on stage? No, I know people who give way more than this. And you like, I, I tell you my stuff, my dumb stuff, my, my, my struggles like, like every single week, okay? Like I, am, I, I self-deprecate myself in every story that I tell. I'm way more comfortable doing that. And so this is even hard for me. But for my wife and I, I feel like God said, well, I, I just want, I want this church to know that you're not asking them to do anything that you as leaders aren't doing first, all right? That's the heart behind this. And so for my wife and I, saying yes to the invitation of generosity means our first 10% goes to God and our church, and generosity begins at 11. And once again, it is not an amount thing. Hear me, so important. It's a percentage thing. See, for some, like for some people, 50 bucks is generous and hurts. For others, 50,000 isn't. Generosity, excelling in the grace of giving, should be, should make your heart skip a little bit, I think. Should make you trust God a little bit, I think. An invitation to see him come through every single time you do. And your faith grows and you try him and you see that he just pours blessing out on your life. And by the way, I'm not just, not just financially, he, like, he wants a blessed life for you, not necessarily a blessed wallet, a blessed life. That's what you're after. And for some of you, you're listening right now and you're like, man, I just, I love God's timing in this because I've literally been praying for a way to, to get more involved and to leverage my resources and take a leap of faith and, and, and try God in something new. And I'm so excited to see how you come alive in this whole journey. And others of you right now are thinking, I want to punch you in the face, Pastor. And I get that. Sometimes I want to punch me in the face too. But you're thinking, man, how dare you? How dare you? Ask me to go home right now and consider writing a check to this church. You have no idea my financial situation and how hard it's been, and you're 100% right. I don't. And some of you might be thinking, oh, like, how convenient. The guy up on stage who gets a paycheck from the church is telling me that I should write a check to the church. And try I get that, too. Okay, trust me. My, maybe my greatest fear is being misunderstood on this specific topic as far as my heart goes. Because I got my stuff, I got my struggles, I got my temptations, money's not one of them, okay? Like, seriously, I, I, with all of my heart, I want you to experience freedom, you guys, not write checks to Red Rocks Church. 
I want you to experience the adrenaline, Holy Spirit rush of being part of funding the kingdom of God, not just put some cash in a basket. Truly, cut us open. What are we about? That's what we're about. And I'll prove it to you. Let's just make this bigger right now. Let's make this bigger than Red Rocks Church because it is. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. We've got a lot of dreams coming up for the next decade. One of those dreams, even in the next few years, is to build a compassion site somewhere in Africa, Compassion International site, and rally behind it as a church. And as a church, get 250 kids sponsored every month so they can, they can go to school and they can have food in their bellies, okay? That's one of our dreams. We're going to do that. If you're sitting in here and right now you don't necessarily trust the heart of this church, I completely understand that. I want you to experience freedom, not, not write a check to this church. And so take your generosity and go to CompassionInternational.org like today, and you can start doing that today. And for $38 a month, and that money is well stewarded, and you will put food in a kid's belly, and you will allow him or her to go to school every single day, and you will come alive and fund the kingdom of God. Go do that with all of my heart. I'm completely serious. Celebration Church has a location right down the street from us. I know the guys who run it. Amazing. They're the real deal. Kingdom-minded. If you don't trust this church, take your end-of-the-year check and go to Celebration and give it to them. Once again, it will be stewarded very well, and you will find freedom, and you will fund the kingdom of God in the process. Awaken Church is a church plant in Round Rock. I know the guys who run that. Once again, they're the real deal. And if you took your, your end-of-the-year generosity check to them, that will be seed being planted in very fertile soil, and I promise you. Very fertile soil. This is about the kingdom of heaven, not Red Rocks Church. Never has been and never will be. I do not lose sleep over the financial future of our church. I don't. God's proven in so many ways, even in 11 months, that he's got us and he always will. Truly. Freedom for you. Funding for the kingdom. And so, come back for the rest of this series with pressure off of your shoulders. This is you and God, okay? But come back so you can kind of peer behind the curtain and see why generosity is a pillar here. Come back so you can hear, like in the next two weeks, we're gonna roll out to you some 2020 vision and some really exciting opportunities that are in our very near future that you're gonna wanna hear about. The harvest right now, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful The workers are what? Are few. I'll even say it this way. The harvest is plentiful. The resources are few. And shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. I'll say this. Like, that's our field out there, guys. And all the resources we need are in this room right now. That's our field out there. And us harvesting it, like, we'll say it this way. We go at the pace of our generosity. Our generosity is the thing that determines the pace, the pace. This is our field, our cultural moment that we're sitting in right now, our opportunities as a church. And so I just thought it'd be fun. Let's just take just like five minutes and talk about our field. That's all around us, the people in our field. And let me nerd out on you just for five minutes and talk generational stuff. And I I think you'll like this. If not, just humor me, please. But Generation X, 
is the generation that they were born between 1965 and 1980. And the baby boomers is the generation before that. And by the way, old is not an age thing. It's a spirit thing, okay? And our biggest, like one of our biggest sincerest prayers is that we would be a multi-generational church, okay? Which means we need more baby boomers and more Gen Xers here. And that's happening. Not going to happen overnight, but we are well on our way. And no, that's one of our prayers, okay? 1965 to 1980, Generation X, And these generations growing up, like faith was the center of the United States. We'll call call it apple pie America, where there's a church on every corner, and it's like it's normal to be a Christian. It's kind of weird if you're not, right? Blockbusters were there. Like we glamorized it like the pace was slower back then. Uh, People trusted the government, which was cool back then, you know. And then the millennial generation comes along, born between 1980 and 1995. And I'm right smack in the middle of this generation. And this generation is called the bridge generation. The bridge generation, right? Because like never before has like history changed that quickly than the time that we were growing up. All right? And so we're we're like, we remember apple pie America, if you will. Like we remember like when morality was, was at a high level in our culture. We remember TV shows like Boy Meets World, TV shows that taught morality, like that used to be a thing, right? Jurassic Park, Independence Day, like used to look real, right? Like we remember that. We remember like a day and age where like it was more normal to be a Christian, right? And Blockbuster and VCRs and DVDs were like this crazy cool technology, right? And at the same time, we have a memory of that, and at the same time, very comfortable in the new digital age, a bridge generation. Now, we have Generation Z that comes along, born between 1996 and 2010, completely over here. Not a bridge generation, born completely in the new age, and no idea and no memory of A day and age when everybody went to church and morality was like a thing, right? Like, they're born into a world where morality has kind of plummeted. It's weird to be a Christian. They've seen the failures of the church. They they don't trust the government. Like, they're born skeptics. Pretty much anything that's, like, established, a big organization, a big church, they don't trust it at all, right? Born in a place of distrust, over here in the new age. And so what does that mean? And here's where I'm going with this. For millennials and older, so millennials, Gen X, and baby boomers, okay? That means we have something. If you're in one of those three, we have something that that Tim Keller calls the Jesus haunt. The Jesus haunt, okay? And what that means is we might run from God, but we have a memory of him, of morality, of church, of Jesus that's haunting us in a great way. So we might have our little season where we run away, where we need like religion rehab, right? Where we, where we kind of just indulge and we kind of just know in the back of our minds, but God is real and I'll fess up to that one day because I have the memory of something. It's kind of like the prodigal son story. The prodigal son asked for his inheritance early from his dad His dad gave it to him, and then he left home and ventured to a far-off land. 
and squandered all, all that money on selfish and lavish living and in sin. And, and there's a part in that story where it says he came to himself in a pigsty eating dinner with a bunch of pigs. And it's there that he what? He remembered home. He remembered his father scanning the horizons, his father who loves him. And because he remembers it, he runs back home. And here's where I'm going with this. Do you realize that Generation Z is actually the very first generation to be born, blanket statement here, to be born with no memory of home and no memory of God, with no Jesus haunt. They don't like, like faith is not a thing statistically that they value. They are not the de-churched like millennials are. They are the unchurched born in a far off land. No memory of home. And that means our mission as a church is sacrificing now to build churches in the future in the far off land for them. We sacrifice in the present for the future of the church, for our future generations. And I believe that's what we're doing right here in Austin for hundreds of thousands of prodigals. Some of them have a memory of home. Some of them tried religion but not Jesus and then got burned by it and so they ran from it. Some of them have no memory of God or morality or church at all. Regardless, hundreds of thousands of them come straight to Austin in search of something bigger than themselves and looking to put their hope in, in, in anything, in anything. That's our field surrounding us right now. And to me, I'm like, man, that's why we're generous. And that's why we sacrifice because the kingdom needs funding and you need freedom. And I can just only imagine like if you went home and you went home with your family and you set a new standard of excelling in the grace of giving, not just for December 8th and not just for this month, but for the rest of your life. Can you think about the compound investment that you could make into the kingdom of God? When you buy stock, you have ownership in a company. And likewise, when you give to the kingdom of God, you become a shareholder in life change. A shareholder in life change. People who come to know Jesus literally because of your generosity and sacrifice. Church, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. The workers and resources are few, but shouldn't be. The harvest is ready, and like it or not, this is the field that we've been given. The far off land, the unchurched, low morality. Like I've heard a lot of people, specifically Christians, talk about how like, man, this, it's never been this bad. It has never been this bad. The church has never failed this bad at reaching people. The younger generations have never been this far from God. What a failure. This will be the greatest disaster of the church ever. I know Christians who think that and wouldn't necessarily say it, but think that. Specifically millennials and older. And I'll finish with this story to tie this up in a neat bow. Apollo 13, if you've seen the movie, it was called the successful failure because they never made it to the moon but all three men, they got all three of them back alive, despite the fact that on day three of a seven-day journey, half of their spaceship exploded in the middle of space. So they never made it 
to their mission, but NASA would call it their greatest success ever. And if you've seen the movie, it's your homework this week if you haven't. It's amazing, one of my favorite movies. Towards the end, the command module is is nearing the Earth's atmosphere, about to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. And this is the climax where they realize, is this gonna work? Are they coming in safe or is it gonna go bad? And at Houston, in the command center, there's a, there's a few people, there's two guys talking about all the problems. They are focused on and addressing all the problems. Oh man, the parachutes are three blocks of ice because they haven't been heated in space for three days. The trajectory's off. The heat shield could be cracked. There's a tropical storm where they're re-entering. And one of the guys says, and I quote, this will be the greatest disaster NASA has ever experienced. And what they don't know is right in front of them is a man by the name of Gene Cranston. And he's the boss. He's the leader in charge in Houston. And he stands there listening and he overhears them at the end of an exhausting three to four day journey of, trying to, uh, of sleepless nights trying to get these men back. And he turns around and he says, with all due respect, gentlemen, I believe this will be our finest hour. This will be NASA's finest hour. I think a lot of Christians subconsciously look at the church and look at our field right now and see all the problems. And they have a point about all the problems. My gosh, look at millennials, dear Lord. Look at Generation Z. Look at the future of our church. Look at the the failures of the church in the past. Look at the fact that Christian teens who go to college, 70% of them lose their faith. Dear Lord, look at the rise of the nuns and young people who want no affiliation to anything religious whatsoever. Look at the second wave of, of angry atheism. Look at the watering down of truth. Look at the sexual ethic crisis. Look at morality. Look at social media. Look at the, the loneliness epidemic and the decline of social skills. This will be the worst disaster the church has ever experienced. And can I just say, with all due respect, Christian, I believe this is going to be the church's finest hour in the United States. I'm talking about the 20s, the next decade coming up. I believe this will be our finest hour as a church. I believe it's moments like this that define who we are and who we're not. One thing people will say to me, and I get it completely, but it bothers me. They'll say, man, I fear for your little son having to grow up in this world. And I see why. But also what I feel in my heart is, with all due respect, Christian, I believe this is going to be the church's finest hour. And I believe we have a privilege getting to stand at a very defining moment in the history of the church, specifically in the United States of America, and that hundreds of years from now, scholars will look back on this era and they will write about what we did. And I believe with all my heart, they will have good things to say. And they will talk about how we sacrificed to a point where it cost us something for the sake of building the church for our children and our children's children. 
I believe they'll talk about our faith and how we believe for the impossible and we went for it. I believe they'll talk about our generosity and how we excelled in the grace of giving and how we went above and beyond and how resources and people were not a problem for the plentiful harvest in the United States in the 2020s. I believe that with all of my heart. Ask any pastor who's over the age of 50 in Austin. For decades, seeds have been sown and the harvest season is upon us right now. And then go ask any farmer and they will tell you it's the harvest season that requires more sacrifice than any other season. And I don't know about you, but I want to see a church, a city on fire with the faith of Jesus Christ. I want to see that in Austin and I want Red Rocks Church to play a key role in it. That's what I want to see. And I know how sacrifice works. I know that you either sacrifice now for what you want then or what you want then will be your sacrifice. That's true for any area of your life, whatever it is you want. There's nothing like nothing great comes without sacrificing for it. You either sacrifice now for what you want to see then or what you want to see then will be the sacrifice. And to me, I go, man, not on our watch. Not if we have anything to say about it. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. And so I want to challenge you. Okay, December 8th's coming up. Let this be your first step towards excelling in the grace of giving in your life. And I pray for you, it's going to become a lifestyle. Like we're seeing, we're playing the long game here. One offering, okay. But man, a lifestyle of this generation in this church right here and this era of the church in the United States, if we made a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice and excelling in the grace of giving, do you have any idea what God can do through something like that? For resources not to be scarce and for us to have an abundant mindset that God really is that big. And he really will get, a, get it to us when we hold it in open hands like this. For our children's children to grow up in churches where giving and generosity is just normal. It's just what you do, what God could do through a church like that. And so I want to challenge you. What is it for you to go home this week and to genuinely pray with no pressure because this is not an instruction, it's an invitation. And if you see it as an instruction, my advice to you is to hold off giving until you see the invitation. So what does it look like you to say yes to this invitation? I think for some of you, it's gonna be a baby step followed by another baby step over some period of time as you kind of test the waters and tiptoe in and realize that God's telling the truth when he says, see what I won't do if you trust me. Some of you in here, you're thinking a baby step, and I just want to tell you, I don't think a baby step is your calling. <laughs> I think you think in terms of baby steps, and a decade from now, we'll be having the exact same conversation. And you just need to try him right now and take a risk and excel in the grace of giving in a way where it kind of makes your, your heart rate speed up a little bit, and you go, wow, I can't believe I just did. I think you need to just jump in right now and find out that he really is everything he says he is and he'll do everything he'll say he'll do. And he wants you to live a blessed life and walk in freedom and drop that weight and fund the kingdom of God and come alive with this Holy Spirit Red Bull adrenaline rush that you will get 
Man, if you're feeling bored in your faith, try generosity. If you're feeling stagnant, try excelling in the grace of giving. Try saying yes to an invitation. You know why I trust him? I trust him because he doesn't instruct it or command it. It's when God commands it that you're like, I don't know, like why, what's the motive? But it's nothing but an invitation from a God who doesn't need anything from you. What's to not trust about an invitation from a God who needs nothing from you and only wants to give? December 8th, I pray it'll be the beginning of a lifetime of generosity and you starting a legacy in your life to pass to your children and your children's children as shareholders in life change in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Will you guys stand? Jesus, I just have such a clear vision of a city on fire with faith, of thriving churches full of free people who feel light and hold everything about their lives in open hands. A church where our children grow up and they, they believe it's normal to be generous and go above and beyond and, and take risks that seem irresponsible and dumb if you're not real. I see a future of a church of churches planted in the far off land so Generation Z and the generation after them can be born with a memory of home and a memory of you. God, I see that so clearly. I want to be part of that. And I also know that if we don't sacrifice now for what we want to see then, then what we want to see then will be our sacrifice. And what a waste that would be. Help us to see you bigger, God. Help us to see our money as something spiritual, not something taboo that we hide away from the, the God parts of our lives. You want everything and that includes our finances. God, I pray people would try you and discover firsthand how good and faithful you are right back at them. Bless the lives of the people in this church. Bless the future generations. Bless the future of Red Rocks Austin. In Jesus' name, amen.